When you enrich the lives of your employees through purpose-powered leadership, they'll grow your business for you. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where you'll discover how to champion a culture of courage and love. Stop dealing with symptoms and get to the root of the problems in your business. This is the Higher Purpose Podcast with your host, Kevin Monroe. Hey, it's Kevin Monroe, and I want you to know I'm delighted you're here now listening to the Higher Purpose Podcast. This is episode 56, and it might just be the episode you've been waiting for. And I don't want there to be any hype when you hear that. Really hope. I'm so excited about today's conversation and the guest who's joining us. Nick Craig and I met some years ago through an article he wrote for Harvard Business Review entitled From Purpose to Impact. I've invited Nick to join me for the podcast before, but it never worked out until now. And he's got a brand new book out, Leading from Purpose, and it's awesome. Highly recommend it. About Nick, he's the president and founder of the Core Leadership Institute, and he has the awesome privilege of guiding executives from around the world on the journey to discover and lead with purpose. He's worked with organizations like Ben & Jerry's, Lego, Heineken, Unilever, and even the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. So he joins us today, and we have this delightful conversation about the book. So here we go with Nick. Well, hello, Nick. We are excited to have you join us today on the Higher Purpose Podcast. I believe our conversation is going to be an authentic treat for you listening. So glad to have you, Nick. Great to be here, Kevin. Thank you. Sure. Hey, what's something you feel is important for us to know about you that helps us connect with you? Oh, well, let's see. I think what would be important for you to know is that I sit here not because I decided at some point early in my life that this is what I would be up to and doing as much as it found me. Mm. And I probably resisted it as long as I possibly could. And so in some ways, part of my journey is having to give up my disbelief that what I'm here to talk to you about actually works. (laughs) And and I think that the truth is that anything worth being that good, you have to go through the disbelief first. Okay. So any of you who think that, you know, you wake up one day and that's it, and then you go off and do it. Yeah, that wasn't how this worked out. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so so you've already fulfilled the expectation I set that this would be an authentic treat because I don't yeah. know many folks that go, hey, I started as a disbeliever. Yeah, seriously, seriously. You know, it's like I was like, okay, this is really soft stuff. I mean, I would say for all of us, you know, we want to have this belief that we have this conviction and then we sort of follow it. But the truth of the matter is, is sometimes the conviction has us. Yeah. And, and sort of we find ourselves at some point having to go, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. I got the message. That's great. That's great. So I can't let that lie. Talk about that journey. What was the work you were doing? I know some of that story, but share that as much as you feel comfortable sharing with us. About yeah. So, so let's put it this way. About 10, 12 years ago, I was very excited about a topic called authentic leadership. And it is a very powerful concept because it was a reaction to all the things that were happening at the turn of the 21st century mm-hmm. with the Kevin Lays and the Enrons and all of these things. Now, since then, 2008 sort of pales that in comparison, but at the time it was pretty severe. So I was really interested on 
how do you become a ethical, powerfully clear, compelling, self-aware leader? Hmm. And I thought that was it. And I was very excited about it. And so I started working with a guy named Bill George, who was at Harvard Business School. And we wrote a book on authentic leadership together, one of the field book. And what was interesting was that nobody wanted to do the chapter on purpose <laughs> because it wasn't working in the classroom. And we knew we had to have it in there, but we just weren't sure. But of course, that's why I ended up having to do it. <laughs> okay. So I work on it and I get to the point where I go from not wanting to do it to almost sort of at least not disliking it and saying, okay, it won't be awful. And then our the first time I get to teach this material is with a Fortune 10 company that's one of those companies that everybody saw as sort of, these guys have figured it all out. Mm. And they say, well, we want this, 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 and we also want this purpose thing. And I says, no, 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 you do not want purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, you don't understand. If we want it, you're going to give it to us. I was like, oh, okay, I have to do this. It was interesting because... Um, I was not convinced. And so I was working with this particular big company from 2007 to 2010. And their stock went from 56 to 6 mm. and then started to come back. And in 2010, right toward the end, they started bringing back alumni from the original programs that I'd done in 2007. And participants would say, so what got you through the, the Great Recession? How did you survive? Mm. And what they would each start to say was they'd, they'd look at me and I'd be like, okay, what is that? Is something, did I do something wrong? What's the case? And they'd say, you know, turns out that the thing you're going to do on purpose is going to be the most valuable thing that you're going to learn. Wow. That was my response, except for I was a four-letter word. And it was like, it starts with an S and I was like, what are they talking about? Because I was like, how could that be possible? But they said, so this one guy... I still remember. He looks at me and he says, you're the reason. So I go back to my group and I find out that, you know, all the stock options I've given them are no longer worth anything. We have to cut the business more than we've ever had to cut it. We might get sold. We don't know. And if the team doesn't stay together, then they're going to definitely sell us and it's going to be over. But I have nothing to keep them together. I have no, no money, no bonuses, no nothing. And I'm standing in front of them and I'm like saying, what am I going to stand on? Wow. And he says, I realized that the only thing I had to stand on in that moment was my purpose. Right? Okay, Nick, I just have to tell you, I mean, I'm sitting here with goosebumps as I'm hearing this story. This is powerful, my friend. Well, you think it was powerful for you now. It was powerful for me because I was still going, I don't know if this is, I was like, is this working? He looks at me, he says, he, this guy helped me. He says, it's my purpose is to be the whitewater raft guy that safely gets you to the other side. Hmm. Now, he said that with such conviction because when he was in his early 20s, that's what he was, a whitewater raft guy. And he actually saved people's lives, like two or three people's lives who were in his safekeeping. And so when he said that to his group, he spoke from a place inside of him that was that place that could deal with chaos. And they all said, Jim, we are 100% with you. We've always been with you for this reason. Forget the bonuses. Forget the other stuff. Let's just lock and load. And let's do this thing. So he said this to this group of people, and they're all like, really? And I'm going, oh, my God, now I have to really deliver this thing. So in some ways, you know, I've had situation after situation where people have done that and come back to me and said this to mm. me. I mean, I had a, a woman who um, 
decided to take a job as a head of HR for the World Food Program about five, 10 years ago. And then she ended up being dealing with the Syrian issues, the Sudan issues, um, Ebola, all at the same time. So she calls me from one of these places and she spends 10 minutes telling me how pissed she is that she listened to me and she followed her purpose. <laughs> and then the rest of the time talking about how amazing it is. This is like, there's nothing else she could imagine ever doing in what she's doing right now. Right. And I'm like, okay, so purpose did something for these people that even I could not have made up. So Nick, what you just shared just took me back to the forward of the book from oh, yes. Brown, where Brene wrote, this book should have a caution on the outside of the book. And this is what it should say. Caution. This is a book about purpose. Do this work and it will change the way you live, love, parent, and lead. However, you will never be able to forget block or unlearn your purpose and trying to walk away from the reason you're here on this earth may cause anxiety, resentment, confusion, self-doubt, and persistent low grades of feelings of what the hell am I doing? Once you live your purpose, you can't unlive it. That story you just shared is that caution in action, right? I know. Well, I did this with Brene. I walked up to her and she was doing her wonderful stuff that she does with great brilliance. And I said to her, is it possible you actually don't know what your purpose is? She's like, you're right. She says, I've been driving me crazy for the last like six months. She's like, here I am doing this stuff. And it's just like, I don't know. I says, would you like to know? She's like, yeah. So anyway, so we started working together and uh, I wasn't going to write this book. I was resisting the book as much as I was resisting purpose. Mm. And I was doing a good job of resisting it. It was working until I met Brene. Wow. And then Brene, after I worked with her, she says, okay, I'm going to write the warning label to your book. I'm not going to do a forward. <laughs> and I'm going to get you my book agent, who happens to be the book agent for Ariana Huffington, Bill Clinton, and everybody else on the planet, who happened to have done my program at Wharton 10 years ago. And when I call her up, she says, Nick, I'm so glad to talk to you. And I'm wow. like, who is this person? Right? <laughs> Because I was so intimidated because I was talking to this like, you know, big agent person. She says, I did your course 10 years ago. Here's my purpose. And wow. then I'm like, oh, so I guess I have to write the book now, don't I? <laughs> so, Nick, we're talking about the book. The book is Leading from Purpose. And I want to say congratulations. And I've got to tell you, I told you this before we went recording, but I got to say it here. I am a big fan. I found the book surprisingly refreshing and such a fresh perspective on purpose. And that's why I've been excited all day long that we were going to have this conversation. So at this point in your journey, how do you describe your purpose? Yes. So I'm going to give all of you two versions of it. And okay. The gift of doing that is, I just want to say that when someone speaks their purpose and uses a set of words, it's like a key to a room. Mm. And what matters is the real beauty of purpose is what's in the room. But if you don't have the key, it's hard to get into it. Wow. Okay. So in some ways, whatever words anybody ever uses and they say, this is what my purpose is, their purpose is so much more beautiful, magnificent, powerful than any set of words. Okay. Wow. I'm going to give all of you two versions of it. Okay. And so the first one is pretty clean. The second one, which hopefully will make you laugh. So my purpose is to truly wake you up and have you finally truly be home. Mm. And so 
I think that's very accurate in the sense that it represents sort of what my life journey has been like and, you know, by waking myself up, waking other people up, what I do now for a living, which is leading programs on purpose, which is 100% about waking people up and what the book is about. So I feel like that's a wonderful description. So for many of us, the purpose that we describe is very powerful, very clear. It's very true for me. About three years ago, though, a participant came up to me after hearing some of my life stories and my journey in life, and they said, oh, that is not your purpose. (laughs) Your purpose is to be the Gandalf that knocks on my door. Hmm. And if I open that door, I will discover the deeper secret that will change me forever. Wow. Okay? And as they said that, I was like, oh, that's a much better version. That's really good. Because when I was a kid growing up, those were the books I lived in. Okay, this is before the movies, before anybody really knew. This is in the 70s. Okay, so this is, you know, in the context of the metaphor of Gandalf, there's a lot of who that is. And for me, the version that I connect with is the one that knocks on Frodo's door and says, okay, we got a journey to go on. Mm. And once Frodo goes out that door, it's like, you can never go back. It's over. So for so many people over these years, whenever I talked to them after having, and I, I did about 75 to 80 interviews of people in depth for the book, every one of them laughs and they say, if I ever knew what would happen when I knew my purpose, they're like, they laugh so hard. They tell these crazy stories of the adventures that they've been on. And it was like I knocked on their door. Mm. And so in some sense, my hope with the book is to knock on a lot of people's doors. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. The second one is just a lot more fun to play with. It is the same purpose. It's the same room that I'm operating from. It's the same beautiful room. Each of these are metaphors. And I think for every person listening, all of you, different times of the day, different parts of the year, we are living from our purpose fully. We're doing beautiful things and expressing from our purpose in our work and our life in all the different contexts. So the issue here isn't, are you leading from purpose? The question is, is do you have easy access? Mm. Access it when it's not so readily available. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's a good one. You'll see that one tweeted. That's there a tweetable statement there. So that's not, are you leading from purpose, but can you easily access it when it's needed most or, yeah, when it's difficult? Yeah. In some sense, that's the moment of leading for all yeah. of us. Yeah. Look, we spend most of our time managing in our life. We have a schedule. We have things we have to do. And the trick is not to screw up and uh, make sure that the car works and you get from point A to point B. And at the end of the day, a good day is where there was the plan and the plan got executed. Hmm. Okay. You know, how much purpose do we really need? Right? Yeah. Then there's the reality of what happens and the unpredictability and the events that happen. And the question then becomes is, so how did you show up in those moments? And was it the purpose that you are that showed up? Or was it the reaction part or all the other various parts of us that is not our purpose? Mm, mm. Okay. Okay. So a couple of things that I want to dive into here and not let go by one, but I'm going to ask you to share your definition of purpose. Okay. Uh, And then I want to go into some of these descriptions, because here's what I enjoyed about the book, Nick, and then I'll let you answer. But I've seen a lot of purpose statements that were written more like mission statements, right? Absolutely. 
I mean, you read them and they just sound so, they're so filled with corporate language. And then I'm reading, and the book is filled full of people's stories and their purpose statement and how they found them. None of them are corporate language. So first off, talk about purpose and then this, you know, what's different about the process you use and how people write these statements that they're like yours. They make you come alive. They make you smile. You're not sitting there yawning going, oh, yeah. How many more of these do we have to listen to? Exactly. I just want to say the reason that they got really good is because I spent a number of years where they were just awful. (laughs) Okay. Seriously, when I first started doing this, it was all corporate speak. And at some point I was like, God, this is awful. Yeah, we're like writing mission statements. Just have a mission, a purpose statement generator and, you know, have the blanks where the buzzword gets inserted and there's your purpose statement. Well, what would happen is, is, you know, we'd have 30 people in a room and then about four of them would just be these unbelievably edgy, powerful. I'm the Jedi warrior that flies through asteroids to safety or something like that. And the whole room would just go what did you say? Or, you know, my purpose is to be Buzz Lightyear, helping you get to the other side of what's known to what's unknown that matters, right? Now, this is a guy who looks like Buzz Lightyear, literally. And when he was a kid, his, he and his mom his, got divorced and he ended up being in a project. Mm. So you go, and you know that, you listen to that, you see his purpose. He also happens to be the president of Hershey's USA right now. So you go, oh my goodness. You go, all these things come together. You go, that's who he is. And then other people would say, well, my purpose is to help you succeed while I succeed as we empower our people. And then you go, that is so awful. Yeah, yeah. So in some ways that, you know, the gifts that I have had over the last 10 years and working with about 10,000 crazy people is that when you start to see the really good ones, all the other ones, you go, wait a minute, why were they so bad? Now, my definition of purpose is that purpose is that unique gift that you bring to the world. Mm. And what I'm really saying to everybody who's listening is, yes, there's something that you bring to the meetings, the conversations, the dialogues, the experiences, that if you aren't there, Mm. something won't happen that is you. And that's the real power of purpose is the gift, the challenges is if you don't know what it is, you can't live it. If you can't live it, you probably can't lead from it. Hmm. And so by knowing it, you can fully step into it and bring that to whatever you're up to so that it is the legacy that is left behind. In some ways, that's the real opportunity of purpose is to have that beautiful legacy. I mean, we value the Shakespeare's and the Monet's and the Lincoln's and the Churchill's and all these beautiful individuals. And it's just how uniquely different each of them is, is exquisite. But it's their uniqueness that is why we watch the movies, not because of the similarity between them and other people. Okay. Now, that takes me to a line from your book that I want to read. Unfortunately, because we have spent our lives chasing after everyone's expectations of who we should be, we never know the one thing that makes the biggest difference, the purpose that has been leading us all our life. So unpack that in the context of what you've just shared, please. So, yeah, the best thing I can do is to go to a quote associated with Einstein, which is, goes as follows. is Everyone's a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life thinking it's stupid. Yeah. Now, all of us 
truly feel on a regular basis like we're a fish trying to climb a tree. The challenge is, is nobody's ever given us any other alternative. So we don't know that there's supposed to be something else we're supposed to do or not to. But the truth is that what we are and what we're here to do is something that we each need to have a clear answer on, a clear understanding of. And there are fishes that need to be in the sea, and there are cats that need to climb a tree. Mm. And so, so many of the people that I've been able to work with, their level of peace and ease and grace that they received when they understood their purpose was that the journey made sense all of a sudden in a way that it didn't before. Oh, that is so good. That's truth that I can resonate with and know people do. The light turns on and things that were hidden in the dark or things you didn't understand, all of a sudden, dots are connecting for you. Now, this doesn't change the journey and the ups and downs, but it makes you understand what your role is and what part of the stage you're, you're meant to be standing on so that in some ways the beauty of purpose when you get clarity on it, it shows you what your momentum is, mm. which means that it also shows you what the path moving forward is, okay? And in some ways, is there free choice? Well, in purpose, my experience of purpose is it is willing to let me think I have free choice, but it's actually going to keep pushing me to go where it wants me to go anyway. Mm. <laughs> So listen, I mean, there's no reason if there's ever anything I shouldn't have done was create a business in which I focus on helping people discover their purpose. There's like, really? There's like, there's no business plan for this. There's no like investors that say, oh, that's a really good idea. Okay. (laughs) So at the same time, you know, I was just looking yesterday at all the people that we worked with in the last 10 years or so. And it's every country in the world Mm. from Zimbabwe to Ghana to... Denver, Denver's not a country, but <laughs> Texas, Texas, okay, Texas. Yeah, Texas so is a country. To all over the place. And I'm like, I was sitting there going, wow, okay, this is interesting. It's like this stuff really does work in every culture. So mm-hmm. I think everybody, no matter what religion you are, what culture you are, wants to know their purpose. Mm, I agree. Okay, earlier you used this phrase. You talked about, well, I think you've used it twice already, the room of purpose and the statement being the key that unlocks the door. Say more about the room of purpose. Yeah. So let's put it this way. Most people come up to me and they'll say, can you help me figure out what my purpose is? And I'm looking at them and going, you know, what you want is a set of cute words. Mm. I hear you, but I'm telling you, there is no set of cute words that is as good as the purpose that you are. Mm. Okay. There are words that will approximate it, but the depth of experience of being in one's purpose. When I'm in my purpose or you're in your purpose, Kevin, my experience of every one of us is what shows up, for example, one of the characteristics of this room of purpose is the curious kid inside of us shows up. Yeah. Okay. There's a laughter, a lightness, a curiosity, and a presence that comes with what I refer to as this room of purpose that is incredibly engaging. It is what makes everyone want to follow someone to the ends of the earth. It is incredible. Mm -hmm. And it is at the same time, almost indescribable. And what I've watched for me, I've done so many programs and all of a sudden someone will be talking and they step into their purpose. Mm -hmm. And we don't even know what the words are for it. We haven't figured out the statement, but they go to this place inside them and the rest of us that are working with them, we all know we've just gone into this person's room of purpose. Wow. It is such an incredible place to be. 
And then they step out. We go, oh, what? what just happened? Okay, they just went back out. And then they go back in and they go out. And we go, so that's interesting. So let's figure out how you get in there. Yeah. And they're like, absolutely. They're like, I want to be in there too. If I had a choice, I'd rather be in here than out of there. And I think the challenge is that a lot of the work that I end up doing is having people step into it, step out. My goal is I want you to sit into that room of purpose and from there figure out what the words are Mm. and how did you get into this room? Mm. It's a lot harder to figure out what the key to get into the room is from the outside. Now, the question for all of you listening, you're like, oh, that's great, but what is he really talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Go sit down and write a story about a magical moment from your childhood. You may have had a horrible childhood, but I promise you, you got magical moments. Yeah. Okay. And you'll write the story, not just write it from the perspective of the label, but go back and write it like you're writing a movie script. What happened? Who was saying it? What happened next? Sit down and really look at the most challenging experiences in your life. And if you write the story, and you say, how did you survive and how did you thrive on the other side of it? There's a beautiful message there. Write the story of something that you have such a deep passion about that it's not about making money or whether you're any good at it, but it just somehow touches you in some special way. Mm. Mm. And if you write those stories or if you tell those stories, I promise you that some of those stories will get you into that room of purpose. And it's just this amazing place that you're in. It's like those conversations you have late at night And it's just like that beautiful whisper that happens. And that is that place. Now, the challenge is, how do you have access to it? Yeah. So, Nick, as I was listening to you, I mean, you talk about the kid. and All of a sudden, I don't know, maybe it's like a Scooby-Doo episode or something that's running through my head where they're just going through the wall. And all of a sudden, they push on the bookcase and they end up in the magical room. And it's magical, but they have no idea how to get there. And that's what I hear you say in this room of purpose is like. It's that kind of magic. Some people just kind of stumble in it, but there is a way to figure out how to intentionally enter it. That's right. And so in some ways, we all stumble into it. Yeah. Okay. We're going along and all of a sudden something happens. And, you know, for some people, they need chaos to step into it. All of a sudden, there's all this chaos. They become extremely calm. They're just so purposeful and clear. And then the minute the chaos is over, they go back to being this like little clod, <laughs> right? And they have no idea. And we're like, oh my God, you know, if your purpose is to thrive in ambiguity and chaos for things that matter, you have to have ambiguity and chaos around you to be living your purpose. Oh, mm. okay. Mm. So for each of us, there are certain conditions that are more aligned with the purpose that we are. Whenever someone tells me their purpose, we figure out what it is. I go, oh, that's interesting. That purpose has some interesting edgy parts to it. So if you have a purpose that's about telling truths that nobody wants to hear, that's the one that everyone needs to hear, you know, you're going to have an interesting journey in life. You're not going to be in a place where everybody loves you all the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the question about purpose is also is owning what is the reality of what does this really mean about Mm. what should life be like for us? Because we have all these images for all of us of what life's supposed to, you know, the, the Facebook images, right? It's all wonderful. It's all great, whatever the case may be. But purposes and most of the purposes I've worked with people on, they are edgy things that will kick your butt into heaven and you may not like it. Mm. Mm. Okay. So I want to pause a moment, Nick, and I want to ask you, you talk about 10,000 of these encounters 
Are there a couple that are just more memorable than others that stand out? Would you share one or two of those? I share a couple. There's one of these I like really because this is an example of someone that you wouldn't associate with wanting to do purpose or anything. So I'm, I'm in Europe working with bankers. Okay. I do a lot of bankers in these days, which is a really funny thing because not ever a group that I would ever associate with purpose, right? I mean, of all the groups of all the industries, would you say, oh, the bankers are the oh, ones that do this? No, no, no. That's not where you think you go, right? They're leading the parade. They are leading the parade. So it's really interesting. So, but I'm working with this guy who is the treasurer for a very large multinational bank, big bank, okay? Big enough bank that if it was to go south, it would be awfully bad for everybody. Mm. And I say to him, so what do treasurers do? Right. I know what the finance guy does, the accounting people. I mean, but the treasurer, I've always thought, what is this guy? He's like his little bank, little gold thing around. What does he do? He says, well, we're the bank within the bank. We hold all the financial reserves. We hold all the financial bonds and everything that's used so that you can lend money based on it. I'm like, okay, this is a serious guy. This is a very serious guy, right? It's a very serious job. So then I say, okay, so let's start working on his purpose. So his purpose comes from a magical moment in his childhood where he was living in Europe, grew up there, and he was in the woods, and he decided that he was going to dig and find something because this was a place where there, I think it was the Battle of the Bulge or something had been fought here, where he was, you know, a report. And he, so he starts digging. And dig, he stays like about a foot and a half down, so he's really digging. So everybody else thinks he's completely nuts. And he hits something, and it's a metal. It's a soldier's metal. So as he says this, and as he does this and he, we talk it through we all know we're in that room of purpose with this guy mm. and he's like you know what my purpose is to dig and find the metal wow now i can't think of a better purpose for a treasurer for a very very big multinational bank than the guy who can just have a purpose that says i'm going to dig and get the metal because that's basically about finding value where no one else knows there is value wow now he goes and calls his wife because I always tell people, you know, the ultimate arbiter is your spouse, right? So call him and see what they think. So he calls his wife and says, here's my purpose. And she's like, oh, that is so you. And then she asks him the question that we all want to know, which is, do you still have it? Right? <laughs> so he says, yeah, it's in this little wooden box at home on my desk. So she goes and gets it and opens it. And he says, he hears her gasp as she sees the metal. Right, because it's got this ding in it where the shovel hit it, right? But he still got it. Wow! And she's like, "So that's just one example." Yeah. Uh, to give you another example, one of the places that I've had the privilege of working and delivering this material that I was never was not even a dream because I didn't think it would ever. I mean, it was not even worth dreaming about. Was teaching this at West Point to the faculty. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> And so intimidating group to do it with because West Point has two faculty. They have professional educators and then they have career officers who are doing a four-year tour of duty, which includes a two-year master's program that they go through and then two years where they're responsible for teaching Hmm. some of the basic classes for freshmen or they're responsible for a core of cadets, 144 cadets. And what was interesting when I was working with them, I was really curious to see what their purpose statements would be like, right? And these were guys who were special forces, paratroopers. They'd done multiple tours of duty. Some of them didn't have arms and legs. Mm. So I was like, oh, this is going to be really serious, intense purposes. Well, it was the largest number of purposes that had the word love or God in it that I'd ever heard. 
except for when I'd worked with ministers and priests, which I've also done. And I was kind of like, what's going on here? Why is that happening? And so it turned out, as I was thinking about it, these are all individuals who are as smart as everybody else, but they pick a career in which they will make less money over their career than by a factor of 50% or more than they would make if they were doing something else. And there's a very good likelihood they will be in battle. And actually they choose and they all want to go to be in battle, to be tested. And in, by doing that, there's a likelihood in which they will be either injured or killed. And I said to myself, you know, if you don't have love or God in your purpose, you probably shouldn't be doing this. Mm. Okay. And mm. so one of the guys I actually did work with has a purpose and it's got all of those elements in it. And what was interesting, it was, he was the aide to Petraeus during the Iraq surge and on track to become a general. And he decided not to do that and become a professor instead. So he was in Boston in 2013, mm. running with somebody who was blind at the Boston Marathon when the bomb went off. And he was one of the first responders. Wow. And it turned out that his skill from having been in battle and having to do all this was four or five times out of the EMTs who couldn't put the tourniquets on in the right way. And this is the first time they'd ever seen this. And he, on the other hand, he was able to, like when they couldn't get the tension right, he would go get a coat hanger and then pull to get the tension so they could stop the bleeding. He saved about six people's lives. And what's interesting is, is that if he had not followed his purpose, he would be somewhere else. He wouldn't have been in Boston. Mm. And mm. so, you know, his purpose led him mm. to go off the path of, he went through the hard right versus the easy wrong, which is a way of thinking about it. The easy wrong would have been to just be a general and just stay on the path. The hard right was when he was in Boston, he was unsure whether he made the right choice and whether he mm. would be a professor. He wanted to go back to, and teach at West Point. He's now the head of behavioral science at West Point. So it all really turned out, but boy, was it an unknown journey. Wow. And so all I'm saying is, you know, these stories I have and these examples, you know, I don't think I could ever make these things up, right? No. Just, so purpose will take us places that we would never take ourselves. Mm. Kevin, one of the things I've discovered is I've had the gift of working in some organizations where there's a lot of very faith-based individuals in it. And one of the biggest challenges that I've had with them is to get the word Jesus or God or Gabriel or whatever piece of scripture into their purpose statement. Like your purpose statement is an access to that room. And for some of us, that room has a very deep spiritual dimension to it. Now, what I'm going to say to everybody listening is that the beauty of whatever the purpose is that you is yours is that it is yours. And you can worry about translating it for the rest of the world some other time. But the real opportunity is to get it right for you. And for each of us, there are special words that have really deep, powerful meaning for us. And for those of us who do have a deep connection to faith, then those words have deep resonance for us. And to shy away from them is to shy away from part of what helps us access that room. Mm. So bring it fully in. Whatever version of that is that may be yours, it is an aspect of purpose. So what I heard you say, Nick, is first off, write the purpose statement for you. Correct. And then if there are elements of that that you feel you need to edit somehow to share broadly, edit it. But don't edit it when it's for you. 
Let it be real. Let it be authentic. Whatever that aspect is, bring it to it, faith or otherwise. Absolutely. So every group I go to, can I say, hey, by the way, I happen to be Gandalf standing over here? No, that's probably not what's appropriate. And if you read the book, you'll find that waking you up and having you be home is what I use most of the book. It's only at the end of the book that you see where I sort of turn that page. But my relationship with you at that point is very different. Right, right. So the point here is that I want you to have each something that is not about a marketing bling. I want it to be your soul. The longest 18 inches in our life will be the one between our head and our heart. Mm. Mm. This is from Tuck Son. And so I just think that for all of us, we have to have a way of accessing those 18 inches. So, yes. I'm just loving this conversation, Nick. And, you know, whether you're a person of faith or not, doing this type work, you experience sacred moments where people really step in and touch the divine. And, you know, you just have these encounters that are transcendent. So what you just said took me to this line in the book that I loved. And it's one of the impact statements or ties to one of the impacts. But purpose is most valuable to us when there are no right answers, just choices for which time alone will give us the clarity to choose wisely. And you just shared an illustration of that. What's another example of when purpose has helped somebody do right, even when it's hard and was much easier to go another direction? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The beautiful thing is I have so many examples. I'm trying to think of which one to pick from. So as opposed to the other way around. And I think what I would like to say to everybody listening is that, you know, I interviewed about 80 people that I'd worked with five or 10 years ago to really understand what this purpose really do. And the common understanding for everyone is that it really is the ultimate gift in a time of uncertainty. Mm. Mm. That it is the one place you can go to to get clarity about what you should do that in the moment doesn't feel like it's safe. But over time, it's so incredibly clear that it was the right choice. And so I think that purpose comes from a deep place of wisdom inside of us. And I think it is connected in many cases to the divine, Mm. okay? I think the distinction between purpose and the divine is probably a good one to wonder about. Is there any difference? But it is only in retrospect that we can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? In the moment, we still have all the anxiety, all Mm. the uncertainty, and all the doubt, and all the second guessing. But at the same time, we still have made a choice. And once we've made the choice, it's usually... There's the purposeful choice and then there's the other choice. Mm. So the other example I'll give, which goes to a whole different place, is that I've worked with the CEO of Ben & Jerry's for a number of years. So Jostein Solheim, when I met him in 2011, he was about three-fourths through his tour of duty of doing two years there to turn it around. And then he was going to take this big promotion that he had been promised. And we worked on his purpose, which is to thrive in ambiguity and paradox for things that really matter. And what he realized was, is that if he took the promotion that he was going to help other other people below him were going to be doing that, but he would no longer be doing that. Mm. He was the only person in this company that ever turned down a six-figure promotion and raise and all the stock options and things that everybody spends their whole life Mm. chasing to go after to stay as CEO of Ben & Jerry's. Now, when he decided to stay, all the people that had been working for Ben and Jerry had fallen in love with him and he'd fallen in love with them as well. They had all gotten their resumes out and they were all saying, okay, we're out of here. 
because this guy's leaving. He's we're leaving, leave. we're leaving. And when he came back, they all ripped up their resumes and they all stayed. They're still there. Most of them are all still there. So I was with these guys about two months ago or three months ago. He stayed. And over that period of time, he was able to do fair trade, GMO. He was hugged by Al Gore at the Paris Climate Talks for the work he's doing. They work with the Grayson Bakery that only hires people who've been in prison to make the cookies. So all the cookies that are in Ben & Jerry's are made by them. So he was able to stay and really put in this whole system of social activism and help. Listen, he didn't put it in place. He helped the people who were already there put it in place, but he was able to help play his role in it. Right. And everybody else did it. You know, probably the silliest example of this, which is slightly inappropriate because, of course, it's Ben and Jerry's, was back in the 2011, once he decided to stay, one of his guys decided to test him and say, look, I got this particular flavor that everybody else has said no to, but I want to see if you want to do this or not because I think it'll be great. It's an Alec Baldwin Saturday Night Live skit called Sweaty Balls, okay? And basically, it's a Christmas thing where his name is Sweaty and then he has these chocolate balls. And anyway, everybody goes to very different places, let's just say, with this story. And so he's like, no, we're not doing that. And then the next day he said, you know, I realized that if I was going to live my purpose, we got to do this because we got to bring Ben and Jerry's back. <laughs> so he says, we're not going to tell anybody, but we're going to do this thing anyway. And they do it. And it becomes this huge success. And if you look up Sweaty Balls, you'll see all newscaster in the United States had to do some skit about it. Now, Walmart Target said, we're not selling it anymore, right? You know, he got in trouble with a lot of mothers whose teenage boys were screaming that phrase. So it wasn't exactly kosher in many ways. But at the same time, what it did is it was him stepping into fully bringing the brand back in this crazy way. And in some sense, you know, the power of purposes is going to have each of us truly figure out what's the unique thing that we're here to bring and how do we bring it. So since then, one of the things that he did is he brought out a flavor called Black Lives Matter just before the last election. And when he did it, Ben of Ben and Jerry's called him up and said, you outbend me. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So there you go. Wow. So I go from saving lives at the Boston Marathon to ice cream flavors. Yeah. Okay. So we each have our own thing that we're here to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there's so much more we could talk about that time's just not going to permit. So, folks, I'm just going to tell you you need to get the book, you need to read the book. In the book, there's this guide of how you find purpose and then Nick, you go into the impacts of purpose. Is there one of those you'd like to hit before we go? There's one I think that's just really fun as a thing to think about. One of the powerful impacts of purpose is it will create more stress for you. <laughs> okay. 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 So everybody's going to say, I'm not reading this book now. What's interesting is, is there's two types of stress. There's a fight or flight response, which is the bad response where everything gets tight. Mm-hmm. There's a challenge response, which is what we saw Tom Brady do a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl. And the challenge response is what we go pay money to watch. And in some sense, it's the one that when we operate from that part of stress, then we transform the world. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, purpose is directly connected to helping us access that version of stress. Wow. Wow. So it goes back to what Brene Brown said in the opening to the book. Caution. Exactly. Read at your own risk. 
So before we go, I love that you close the book with a call out to Theodore Roosevelt, which is the essence of Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. But it's this speech, the man in the arena speech. And many folks probably don't know it, but it was from 1910. And I want to read that for folks that don't know it. And then I want to ask you to talk a bit about it through the lens of purpose. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So how do we spend more time in the arena and not in the stands? Yeah. You know, I think that for me, it's, you all have stories of being in the arena. Mm. And I would say, you know, obviously reading the book is a powerful beginner of being able to start this, because in some ways, I wrote the book in a way that by the time you read that, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I've just spent this book being in the arena. And in some ways, that's the goal of this whole thing. The arena is the room of purpose. Mm. And that's what we really want everyone to spend more time. And the challenge and the beauty of that quote is it is an incredibly challenging place to be. But mm. you have a choice. You can either be there or be one of those cold and timid souls that neither knows victory nor defeat. That's a waking death. Yeah. Okay. A courageous man dies once. A non-courageous man dies every day. Wow. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for joining us. You've got a gift for us. I have a gift for you. Yes. So one of the things that we make available to everyone who listens to this podcast is an assessment that we have on how well you are leading from your purpose. And it's on the website, and I'm sure with Kevin, we'll send this out to everyone who is interested and have access to it. And you can go to our website. The website is www.coreleader.com. And then there's an assessment section that you can go to, and you can take that and see how you do. All right. Nick, is there anything you want to say before we leave that makes this conversation whole for you? I think what makes it whole for me is that the reason we had such a beautiful time today is because of the gift of stepping into your room of purpose, Kevin. Mm. And being in that room allowed me to go to some really wonderful places today that I haven't gone in any of these adventures on podcasts or whatever the case may be. And I just think that that's the gift that you bring. And I think that's the gift that you bring to those listening is to really step into your purpose. So thank you. Well, thank you, Nick. That I wasn't expecting that, but uh, wow. That's just very kind of you. And and folks, thanks for listening. Uh, I encourage you to get this book, read it, do the exercises, and find the key, a key, whatever key it is that unlocks that door, get into your room of purpose, and the world needs you living more of the time than not in your room of purpose. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. That was such a rich and robust conversation, and there's so many things that are still ringing in my mind and resonating for me. I'm wondering what that is for you. One of the things that I just love is that Nick came somewhat reluctantly to become this chief advocate for purpose, and maybe you weren't a believer 
initially either. And I love it that in Nick's experience, it was the meltdown of the economy. And and when all things had gone bad, that purpose was the only thing left powering people through. You may have heard me say this before. Purpose perseveres. Purpose is powerful. Nick illustrated that beautifully with some of his comments. And then I love this whole idea of the room of purpose. Hey, don't get so hung up on trying to get your statement just right. Your statement's the key. Get in the room and spend as much time living and leading from the room of purpose as possible. And then this idea that everyone's a genius, that Einstein said, that everyone's a genius. But if you compare a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you're disappointed. And maybe you've felt squeezed into a box or a mold that doesn't really fit you. Hey, you have a purpose. You have something that only you bring to the world. Your world, our world needs it. Bring it. Until next time, live, love, and lead with purpose. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Remember, if you ever think that your work could be less ordinary, there's not much between you and something extraordinary. Just 13 weeks and a bold experiment. Find out more at 13weekstoextraordinary.com.